ice water in his veins. I couldn't think of a better place to end the street than Death Valley, South Carolina, baby. Guys going down, guys stepping up. That's what football is all about. And they say we can't do it. What they say now. Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. We're here today to recap 2017's National Signing Day for the Clemson Tigers. Not a lot of late drama, no last-minute signees, uh, only a 14-person class in total, but that's okay. We really addressed a lot, of, a lot of needs with this class, a lot of talent from top to bottom. For me, recruiting is one of the most exciting parts, following the guys coming in that choose to be a Clemson Tiger. And in this class, I think there's a lot of, of high-character kids combined with a lot of talent that will hopefully give Clemson a chance to, to be in playoff contention and, and to compete for more championships. We were fortunate enough to have, have on one of the best to talk about it, Quacking Tiger. This is a pretty lengthy interview. I hope you enjoy it. Sit back, relax, and uh, let's talk about the future of Clemson football. Quacking Tiger. This is your second year in a row now that you've joined the podcast uh, for National Signing Day, and hopefully we can make it a, an annual tradition. I got to say, it's, it's a lot more fun talking about recruiting in 2017 than probably any other time in, in Clemson history. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, but, hey, before we do anything with recruiting, I'd, I'd love, because we haven't talked to you in a, in a few months, I'd love to get your thoughts on the national championship. Reflect on the game, uh, thoughts from the aftermath, anything that's uh, kind of on your mind. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, I think I'm, I'm ready to die personally, you know, die happy. Um, yeah, I mean, that was, that was like a, a bucket list item for me. I, like I had seriously, I had serious doubts about whether or not Clemson would, would ever win a national championship in my lifetime. I don't know if that was just kind of like the, the Tommy Bowden in me, Clemson fan that, that still couldn't like believe the way that Dabo Sweeney, I think, uh, in, in his greatest trait kind of allowed the Clemson nation to believe again. Um, so, you know, to me, uh, I got my one national championship. I, I feel like uh, that I'm pretty much done. Anything else is just kind of, uh, you know, cherry on the top, whatever metaphor you want to use. But I, but it did make me reflect on just kind of how unique, and I, I don't think the national media really realizes what it means to be a Clemson fan compared to other, you know, uh, brands and, and, and uh, teams and fans of other teams. Like, it's easy to be an Ohio State fan, right? You got tons of bandwagon fans. They win a lot. They historically have won. Michigan, they you know, they always win. I always think they're, you know, better even though they don't have as many national titles. And it's easy to be a USC, the real USC uh, fan. It's 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 easy to be an Alabama fan even though that was kind of a regional Southern culture, uh, just because they've been so good for so long. But to be a Clemson fan, you know. It, you feel like you're just invested, that you've helped build this thing, that you have this relationship with the team. It's really this unique moment uh, for all of us uh, that I think is is important to to recognize just just how far you know Clemson has come, and just how special it is for those of us who have been diehard fans. Um, you know, I mean, sure there'll be a bunch of you know as the brand grows, a bunch of people who jump on the bandwagon and things like that. But but Clemson is really a local brand. You have to have a kind of connection to the to the the geography to the people 
um, I, you know, I think there is that, that this kind of cohesion um, that exists that's unique, that's special about Clemson. So, you know, it, it is really such a reward for, for all the fans who have just been there for 35 years waiting for another national championship. So uh, it was a lovely experience uh, that, you know, I'll never forget. And, and I, I want to keep myself from being that like greedy fan that's like, okay, I got to get another national championship. Uh, Dabo did it his way. And, you know, I'm going to have all my recruiting things, but it's important to remember, you know, we, we won. And so we need to be happy and, and joyous at this moment, I guess. Were you at the game? Uh, so I had, uh, I was going to buy tickets for $1,400 and go to the game, but those tickets disappeared on me. So I did not get in. Uh, I instead flew to Vegas and watched it in Vegas and uh yeah and I won't say how much money I won or anything like that. <laughs> uh I was oh man I was so bummed out that I wasn't there I was there you know when we lost and and wasn't there for this one but and I'll regret it for the rest of my life but you know I just I didn't have that money I had $1,400 but I didn't have a ticket you know it's like crazy but you know <laughs> You save money and you made a little extra if you bet on Clemson. So good for you. Good for you. For next year. For next year. There you go. Get those like six to one or it might be like 16 to one odds. Um, oh, and, and one other thing about the game. You know, everybody keeps talking about is it the greatest game of all time, uh, national championship game. Uh, and I think uh, maybe the, the singular game isn't. But I think when you package the two games together – and you get the narrative of, you know, the redemption, uh, you know, losing the to Alabama and, and this whole chip on the shoulder, this entire year that this team battled, you know, and then you put that together with this greatest Alabama defense, right, that was supposedly the greatest the year before. And then now we fixed it so that they're definitely the greatest. I, I think it, it really can, those two packaged together, be considered the, the greatest college football uh, national championship ever. I agree, and the, the the late drama and everything about that game was just, it seemed like it was something from a, a fairy tale. Yeah, and that, that four-minute mark, I mean, I just, I don't know if you felt the same way, but I let out some, like, bellowing scream that uh, everyone around me thought I was dying or something, that, you know, that Jalen Hurts had uh, defeated us. I You know, I, I, I it felt like the the, that Clemson moment that, that everything had fallen apart. And I know some, everyone's like, Oh, we had two minutes. We knew Deshaun Watson was going to win the game. Some people felt that way. I felt like it was this biggest, you know, punch in the stomach, punch in the gut. Uh, but, but to come back the way we did, it, it really did feel like the perfect Clemson ending the perfect Clemson win. We have the lead in the fourth quarter. We lose it. We come back in dramatic fashion, relying on Deshaun Watson, who proves that he should have won the Heisman trophy, uh, and is the best player in college football, vaulting himself to uh, what, you know, is a high draft pick or should be a high draft pick. Uh, and, you know, it just felt like the, the way that it should end. Um, and, uh, you know, Dabo Sweeney being the coach of Hunter Renfro, the walk-on who defies all odds and catches that end zone touchdown. It's just, you know, I mean, that's a 30 for 30 that uh, – I can't wait to see who plays Dabo. It's Matthew McConaughey. I'm pretty sure he's got dibs on it. Uh, let's talk about you, you mentioned how this thing was kind of like a long time coming. Everyone being bought in in terms of the Clemson family. Uh, you and I follow recruiting 
you're one of the best in, in all of Clemson uh, in terms of giving insight into what's going on. So I think in a way, as someone that follows recruiting, you kind of see these things coming from kind of long way out. Let's mm-hmm. let's turn our attention to 2017, this, this signing class this year. Um, not a big class, 14 commits overall. It, it was it was going to be a small class. Let me ask you how how it grades out. How do we do uh, addressing our needs? So, uh, you know, we have 14 recruits, but the per star average, right, uh, is top five in the country. So we are bringing in the necessary blue chip percentage, all that kind of stuff. We're, we're bringing in the the, the uh, an adequate amount of talent. Um, for our roster. The question though is, uh, can you have two consecutive small classes uh, that are both going to be loaded with talent? And, um, you know, in 2018, I think we'll be even more talented than 2017. Um, but, you know, I mean, for a while there, the, the 2017 class was on track for a kind of historic uh, per star average um, as, as things uh, looked uh, at about this point last year. So, um, you know, I I think, uh, there are a few areas where, uh, we have to worry about the roster management in terms of depth moving forward, because, uh, when we had the, uh, the dandy dozen, if you remember Dabo's first class, you know, they were 12 players. They weren't as kind of, uh, high blue chip percentage, right? They, they weren't the, the quality or caliber of this class, but just because it was 12 players, it, it led to some gaps. It led to some places where we just had depth problems um, moving forward. So, you know, that's something that, that, that will, that uh, the coaching staff will continually have to pay attention to. And, you know, it'll be a big question next year. This, this whole uh, culture versus, you know, numbers uh, question and uh, and Dabo Sweeney has won a, a national championship. He's won the right to do it his way, however he wants to do it. Uh, and, and you know, I mean, I'm I'm not gonna raise a fuss. I'm just gonna say, hey, you know, maybe there's an, a, a a balance there. Maybe there's a, a midpoint. And I think the coaches know that. And so, you know, they they always want to start with the numbers low. You heard Brandon Streeter today talk about 2018 being a 10. 11 person class all the way up to the 16, 15, 16 mark. Um, and, and I would just say that the next year's class needs to hit that above 15 mark or else we're going to have depth problems. But this class in and of itself, extremely talented. Um, and, and, uh, I, I, I do feel like there are a few areas, a few places where we could have just added one or two more players, uh, and it would have been an overall stronger class, um, but you know, there, there's, there's absolutely no reason to, to think that this is a weak class or that South Carolina's class is in any way stronger than Clemson's. That's just crazy talk. If there's one guy that we missed on and, or if there's just an, another position where we probably should have taken an extra guy, what would that be? And who, or who would that be? Oh, that's the easiest question of the night. It's Xavier McKinney. Um, I, you know, I haven't written a full story on this, but, um, Everyone was shocked that he picked Alabama. Let's go through the parties that were shocked. Clemson coaches, Alabama coaches. Uh, I think the the folks around uh, McKinney were shocked. I think the folks at his school uh, were shocked. I think uh, all of the media folks who he had given quotes about Clemson to were were shocked. Like, I mean, th- this is 
Um, if we're ranking like recruiting, you know, coups uh, for this this recruiting year and for the entire year, uh, this is this has got to be up there. Uh, I don't think people realize how monumental, how big of a upset for Alabama this was. They they had no idea. They 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 did not see Xavier McKinney committing that day. Um, and you know, I mean, they're, they're, uh, you know, I won't go into some of the other details of, of, uh, some of the things of when you're signing and all that kind of stuff. But in my book, Xavier McKinney was a five-star, uh, you know, I mean, he's a borderline five-star, but in my book, he's a a five-star player and he would have been the most talented safety the moment he stepped foot on campus. I think he's that good of a player. I think he's going to play at Alabama and go on and play in the NFL. I think he's that good. Uh, And he would have continued that whole Roswell pipeline that we have been building. So he is absolutely a huge loss. I I do think that uh, Clemson could have added another defensive end um, if there was space to help with the defensive end numbers. But we are going to you know, use Logan Rudolph and we're going to use, we'll talk about this more, I'm sure, Justin Foster uh, more as defensive ends, probably are they're going to start out as kind of hybrid linebacker defensive ends. So it isn't a, a glaring need, but I do think that uh, Clemson moving forward does need another defensive end. There was the problem this year with depth at defensive end. Thank goodness Christian Wilkins is an athletic freak. Uh, and I think that uh, the other area that um, we, we could improve in terms of talent is, is the offensive line. Um, you know, we have three quality, uh, developmental prospects. Uh, but you know, we missed on the two guys that we really wanted that were, I, I, I mean, let me refrain or rephrase that. You know, we really wanted all the guys that we got, but oversigned candidates were Trey Smith at Tennessee. And once he was going to you know, he was made the number one overall by ESPN. Thank you, ESPN. Uh, that wasn't going to happen. He was going to stay at Tennessee and Andrew Smith, uh, Andrew Thomas, sorry, uh, who's a uh, offensive tackle prospect who committed to Georgia. And he was always going to be a a Georgia dog if they if they offered. Uh, He was a really, uh, you know, quality offensive tackle that flew under the radar a little bit. Um, And so those those are the areas I think that uh, I would uh, I would say. Yeah, and unfortunately, it seems like a lot of the guys that we miss on don't end up hurting too much. Like some guy will emerge in a position uh, or will develop someone uh, like like a Kevin Dodd emerged as we lost on Robert Kimdichie. So uh, hopefully things will pan out the same way. Uh, let's talk about – I'm going to talk get into the players. And I just kind of went uh, just arbitrarily – let's start with wide receivers because I don't know. I, I really like this this couple of wide receivers that we landed. T. Higgins, you, I'll give the short bio. He is a, a five-star wide receiver, uh, maybe the best in the country, uh, arguably the best wide receiver recruit in the country. You compare him, or you say that he's as good of a prospect as Sammy, uh, maybe, or even maybe even a better prospect as Sammy. What is it about his skill set that makes him so great? Well, so he, he's nothing like Sammy as a as a wide receiver, but I think his ceiling is higher than Sammy Watkins ceiling. And you know, that sounds just kind of crazy, right? I mean, it's like, it's Sammy Watkins. Sammy Watkins, the moment he stepped foot on campus was ready-made. He was going to be a star, um, you know, pretty much no matter what. Uh, but T Higgins, I think has an even higher, uh, potential. He, he has a higher ceiling. Um, he, he has everything that you're looking for in a wide receiver. 
height, ball skills, a great vertical. I mean, you, you've seen those videos where he's, you know, dunking like crazy. Um, he, he, he runs really good routes. He's really smooth on, on the field. And the only thing that he needed to do was kind of mature with his body and get a little stronger. And he's done that, um, as, uh, during his senior year, he's now, I, I, you know, up to 190 pounds, if not more. And, uh, if he can get off press coverage, if he can get uh, a little bit more physical, uh, he's going to be ready to, to play a, a significant role, I think, next year as that tall uh, wide receiver in the red zone, but also with his speed and kind of ability to run routes. I mean, he's a great, great seven-on-seven -seven, uh, player. Uh, T. Higgins and uh, Amari Rogers played on the same team, and uh, and because of that exposure with seven-on-seven, -seven, you know, I, I think that's really helped a lot of wide receivers kind of uh, be able to, to get a leg up, uh, in, in their development, um, just kind of overall. So I do, you know, there's other good, uh, wide receivers in the country, Jerry Judy, right. In Alabama, um, Florida state has some nice, uh, wide receiver commits, DJ, uh, Matthews, I think, or, you know, there, there's some, some other people out there who are really good, but I would say that T Higgins is the best fit, uh, in Clemson's system compared to some of those other guys going to other places. So I think he'll be able to excel, probably excel faster, and his ceiling will be higher than anyone else in, in the 2016 class at, at wide receiver. Yeah, and if you haven't seen his film, it's just it's a thing of beauty. Uh, the like you said, the type of athleticism, all the things that he does so well, uh, ball skills. Uh, anyway, I think it'll be great at Clemson. Speaking of fit, in terms of what we like to do, Amari Rogers is the perfect guy that, to fill that Artavis Scott role, running back on the outside. Um, he is he is tremendous. You compared him to Artavis Scott. You said he was a clone of Artavis Scott. I think he's a little bit like uh, Steve Smith, former NFL player, just with his leaping ability, his high-pointing ability. Talk a little bit about Amari Rogers, uh, what you think he'll bring, and, and how soon he'll bring it. Well, and, and, you know, this speaks to the strength of this class, right? You lose Mike Williams, you bring in the tall, talented wide receiver in T. Higgins. You lose Artavis Scott, you bring in, uh, you know, Amari Rogers. A everywhere that we lost something significant, we brought in a pretty talented piece uh, to, to replace that player. So, you know, I mean, that's where the strength in this class is. Rogers is, uh, you, you know, I mean, he, he's a coach's son, right? He understands the game. He knows the game. He started playing running back, so he's got this physicality to him in the way that he plays wide receiver. Uh, and and he's a really good route runner. He's deceptive in his breaks. I mean, he he does a really good job of getting open, and he's got good breakaway speed. You know, I, I was trying to compare him to to Scott, and I think coming out of high school, uh, he's a little bit faster than Scott was, and he's a little bit bigger uh, already um, in, in his lower bodies. He's thick. He has that breakaway speed. Um, he, he just has, you know, uh, uh, he, he's shorter, right? And that's why all these recruiting services didn't give him – or they had him rated lower. They, they brought him up a little bit here at the end. Um, but he, he compensates for that by having this great leaping ability, and he high points the ball. He catches the ball with his hands away from his body. Um, that was the thing, uh, I think we should talk about James Robinson here. Maybe that's a good little, little segue. Um, James Robinson was a beast in his junior film, looked like he would, you know, become this dominant wide receiver, but he never developed, uh, in his senior year. He didn't develop that, you know, ability to not catch the ball close to his body, that ability 
to run clean, crisp routes. It was just very raw. Um, but Amari Rogers and T Higgins, they're much more polished products. And I think they'll be able to have a bigger impact, uh, sooner than, than other prospects. Yeah. I'm, I'm certainly excited about both of those guys. Uh, and you mentioned it too, Amari Rogers, his dad was a coach. He's, he's a tremendous character kid. He'll be mm-hmm. a recruiter. Uh, he, he's already been a recruiter for Clemson. He'll continue to be, uh, in the time that he's at Clemson. Yeah, I think, you know, Amari Rogers and uh, Mike Jones Jr. are competing for, for best. Uh, and Chase Bryce. Let's give Chase a little bit of uh, credit there, too. Uh, they'll be competing for the top, you know, recruiter for the 2018 class, I, I, I'm i sure. But, yeah, no, I'm all of these players, you know, Clemson, that's not just uh, something that they, you know, say for branding that they bring in good kids. They, they make that a priority in who they evaluate. And, um, and even the, the kind of, um, not wayward, but, but, uh, the risks that they take, they, they, the, the staff has to be convinced that they're good, you know, people on the inside. Um, so, you know, every time we talk about a recruit, we'll say, oh, they're, you know, he's a great kid, great family, great, great everything. Um, so, uh, you know, that's something that I think Clemson has done a really good job on in kind of you know, it's partly brand, right, to say we have this uh, Clemson type of recruit that we're going after. But, but you know, as Clemson gets better and better and their recruiting becomes, you know, even more um, kind of uh, uh, specific, right, and, and who they can and can't go after, um, or who, who selective, right, is the word that I'm looking for, um, that they continue with this recruiting of high-quality, high-character kids. Gotta love it as a as a Clemson fan. Let's move to quarterback, and I don't want to like go into a complete 2017 who will be the starting quarterback conversation, but it's okay if you can give us a little bit of uh, of your your thoughts on how that'll shape up. Hunter Johnson, he is a five star. I don't believe he's a consensus five star. Not sure. He's he's ranked across most services as one of the best uh, or the best quarterback in the entire class, incredibly advanced for an 18-year-old. Uh, tell us about his skill set and his chance now that he's an early enrollee to get on uh, and, and make an impact in the spring and, and buy for that starting position. Absolutely. Um, the first thing I think uh, to say is that Clemson has the best quarterback class in the nation. I was looking for somebody that would have a better one. Um, you know, Alabama has two really good quarterbacks in Tua Tagovailoa. And I said that pretty good. And uh, and Mac Jones. Um, and I actually think that Tua is going to – he's going to challenge uh, Hurts for that starting quarterback position. He may not overtake him, but it's going to be a great battle. And, and my, you know, I, I wouldn't bet against Tua to take that uh, away from Jalen Hurts. But, on uh, you know, so this is the best quarterback class in the nation, I think. Um, Hunter Johnson has got all the the, the – you know, tools that you're looking for in a top quality quarterback. He throws a beautiful ball. He's got the height. Um, he has, I don't want to say sneaky athleticism. He has just athleticism, right? He runs track. Um, he, you know, he'll need to gain a, a little bit of weight um, to be able to withstand uh, the rigors of college football and getting hit and everything. But but he can run, you know, his own read. He's not going to be, I mean, you know, Cole Stout, 
did a great job, right? I'm not dogging on Cole Stout, but you know, Cole's strength wasn't his athleticism necessarily. Uh, it wasn't a liability, but it wasn't a strength. And I, I don't think at all that, uh, that Hunter Johnson will be limited with what he can do athletically. Um, but you know, he, he's gonna, um, uh, his ability to process information, to make the correct reads, to adjust to the speed of the game, um, transitioning from, you know, where he's playing in Indiana, where he didn't have a good supporting cast, um, to college football. I mean, that's where he's going to make or break in very quickly, I think, in, in, in the spring and whether or not he's going to really, really challenge for that starting spot. Um, I, I do believe that Dabo Sweeney is going to give every opportunity to the upperclassmen. Nobody wants to hear this, but I think he's going to give every opportunity to Kelly Bryant to win the position or to win a role as the starting quarterback in a running fashion or in some fashion where he's he's part of um, that that dynamic. I mean, we, we forget, right, that at crucial points early on in games, he substituted Kelly Bryant in for, for Deshaun Watson, trying to save Deshaun Watson, you know, his body, his legs and everything. He, uh, I, I think Dabo Sweeney and the coaching staff, feel really strongly about Kelly Bryant's ability. So he's going to be in there. Um, and, uh, and then you have Cooper who has the, you know, the arm uh, talent that's better than I think uh, any of those uh, other quarterbacks on campus. So, and, and, you know, has spent time processing, learning the system and everything. So Hunter Johnson's got to come in, learn the system quickly. Uh, his ability to do that will, will be a big, you know, factor in whether or not he's competing, but he has the tools. He has the athleticism. He has a be- He throws a beautiful ball. He can make all the throws. Uh, it's just a matter of his ability to, to process, make correct reads, um, you know, read the entire field, those kinds of things. Uh, he's got the intangibles too. He's a great, you know, person. Uh, and there's countless stories of, you know, his, his, uh, work ethic and dedication that none of that is going to be in question. Um, but I mean, uh, my wagon is hitched to the to the Trevor Lawrence, uh, you know, 2018 uh, Uber recruit, number one ever recruit. So you know, I'll not talk about that. I'll try to withhold my Trevor Lawrence man crush. But yeah. So yeah, maybe we can wait till after the spring game. We'll talk about who should who the starter should be because we don't know we don't we know nothing about Zarek Cooper and, and Hunter Johnson to this point. And then let's talk about Chase Bryce too. Uh, so oh, yeah. Chase Bryce is, uh, uh, you know, when he committed in his junior year, I thought that he had a lot of work to do. He, he wasn't in the best of shape. Um, he does a lot of things good, but nothing like really great. But his senior year, uh, you know, he really showed me uh, leading that Grayson team with all those, you know, I mean, he had a great supporting cast, right? He had a great offensive line. Uh that that he was able to throw behind um but he showed that kind of leadership he played in big games he played in big moments um he now has developed i think as a passer whereas before uh he would get caught you know throwing off his back foot every now and then he would make some really bad reads just kind of plays uh he he improved his decision making over the the uh his senior year and he plays against really quality competition um, so, you know, I mean, he, he, he everybody's going to say, look at his film, look at that deep ball he throws, you know, that comes because, uh, Grayson runs some great play action. Everybody's worried about, you know, their great, uh, running backs and, and their great wide receivers and everything. Um, 
so, you know, we have to temper expectations there. I think he will need a redshirt year. I think he will need time in the system uh, to develop as a quarterback. But he's the best number two quarterback you could ask for. He's the best backup quarterback. If, you know, depending upon how long he stays, you you always want to have a quality number two quarterback waiting there in case somebody gets injured. Clemson's been really lucky that we haven't had a lot of injuries uh, over the years, going back to Taj Boyd, very few kind of season-ending injuries uh, to our quarterbacks other than, you know, when Deshaun and and, uh, and Cole Stout were, were competing against each other. So, you know, I wouldn't count out the Cole, Chase Bryce, but I wouldn't count out his value as a backup to the, the overall kind of roster stability um, and, and ability for Clemson to compete for, a, for another national championship. Yeah, I was thinking if if he were the only quarterback recruit that we took this cycle, if, if Hunter Johnson would have never decommitted from Tennessee and he wasn't in the equation, I think most Clemson fans would be pretty happy if he's our long quarterback. He, he and he really really wants to be a Clemson guy too. So I think there's something that we can uh, that we appreciate about that. Absolutely, absolutely. Travis Etienne, am I saying am I pronouncing that correctly? Etienne, Etienne. yeah, I Etienne. think so. Okay. So he's our lone running back commit, signee. Cordarian Richardson was, was in the mix. He was the big bruiser back out of, out of Memphis. Uh, academic scandal or whatever it was at his high school, he falls out of the mix. And here comes Eddie. And I'll let you, like, I think for the people that may not follow recruiting as much, I think he has a very interesting kind of recruitment, the way that we, the way that we landed him or secured him. Um, could you talk a little bit about that and also talk about his skill set? I think there's some confusion out there. He's not a bruiser back, but he is a very good back. So I, I don't know if you could provide a little clarity there. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Richardson, I think, was a ideal, you know, fit, um, replacing Wayne Gallman, being a, a larger bruising back that we wanted who could run up the A-gap. Uh, and so, you know, we lost him, uh, academic situation, et cetera. Uh, he, he wasn't going to be a part of our class. Um, I think there was an option that he could have gone Juco and, and kind of stuck, uh, you know, there's a bit of, um, gray area there about what exactly transpired, but it doesn't matter. He was gone. Um, and, and, you know, Maryland picked him up today, but I, I, I can't fathom that they'll be able to get him into school without kind of going prep or juco or something like that uh so we're really late in the game right because this just happens uh this was at the beginning of december i think or end of november uh december i think um so we're really late and we definitely needed i you know i want to applaud the coaching staff for getting a running back we needed a running back we would have gone three years with only taking one running back that is not healthy your roster that is not healthy for i mean i you know i love that we have the walk-on darian wrencher who's uh i i think will make a contribution a significant contribution by by the time he's done at, at clemson um but we needed that fourth running back um on campus this year uh so we went into jennings uh high school we went into louisiana um and we went after uh, Etienne, Travis Etienne, um, who was being recruited by LSU. LSU put all their eggs in the Cam Akers basket, who unfortunately went to uh, Florida State, uh, which, you know, I mean, that's going to be 
uh, he's a great player and it's going to be a, a tough battle against uh, Florida State uh, with him there. You know, it's like, oh, we lost Cook, hooray, but now they have Cam Akers. I mean, everybody wanted Cam Akers, um, not named Alabama, and I'm sure Alabama wanted Cam Akers too. So LSU slow played Etienne. They, they, you know, they, they really wanted Akers. They weren't shy about it. They thought, here's this in-state guy. I, I just don't think he got very much attention. He, you know, he he didn't play against the the greatest competition. So, you know, he racked up, you know, 3,000 yards, tons of yardage, uh, playing in a wing T offense um, where he's not running up the A-gap. Uh, he, he's not, uh, you know, every down kind of pro style set back, right, in the wing T offense kind of um, – gets the ball and, and runs the perimeter, right? And and he did that really, really well. Similar to one Wayne Gallman, right? Who who did the same thing at Grayson, a similar type of offense that they ran there while Mickey Kahn was the uh, the head coach, now Mickey Kahn on our staff uh, as a, the uh, latest uh, DB uh, coach. And so, you know, Etienne has, there are some questions. He, he will need to do all the, you know, the, the growing pains of learning how to pass block, learning how to, you know, be a, a running back who who kind of has the the vision to make cuts and things in the hole and hit the hole hard and you know all those kinds of things that that have to be taught to be a, a great running back but he's got great speed he's elusive in the open field he's a tough runner he's not a, a physical bruising runner but um you know hopefully he can develop into that kind of violent runner that that Wayne Gallman was uh, for us. So, I, you know, I think he's actually a pretty good replacement for Wayne Gallman because he gives us a bit of a hybrid uh, uh, back. We still, you know, need that kind of big back that we've never had in this offense. But, um, you know, we'll look for that in a, in a different class, I think. Yeah. And you, you look at Tyshawn Dye, he's he's transferring. CJ Fuller, uh, you know, he's going to be an upperclassman along with Adam Choice. Uh, yeah, I think like desperation, we needed, we needed someone. I'm glad that you didn't just grab, you know, three star Johnny, three star whoever. You, you got a you got a really good player. In my opinion, maybe even a larger upside uh, than Cordero and Richardson, the guy that you originally had in the fold. So, uh, it worked out pretty well. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. And and Clemson was ready to grab uh, the kid out of Fort Myers, Felix, um, but he inexplicably went to Oregon, which I was ecstatic about because he's another you know 175, 180 pound dripping wet. Uh, running back who's good at what he does and, and actually is a very good running back as a smaller kind of scat back and, and, and would have been dynamic in different ways. But I think we needed a kind of regular, pure uh, running back, somebody who, who could physically run up the, the, the middle, of the, you know, and, and, uh, and get us tough yards. Uh, that, that's definitely what we uh, were looking for in this. I, I was looking for the, the staff to prioritize in, in this class. And Etienne does that, I think. Moving to the offensive line, um, and we can, I don't know, maybe look at this as a, as a unit. There's a there's three guys, a trio. A couple of them you maybe call developmental prospects. We, we've kind of been spoiled the last couple of years with some guys that are hitting, hitting the two deep or even becoming starters uh, as true freshmen. What do you foresee for this class in terms of, uh, you know, instant impact, but also, uh, you know, just the, the – the, the caliber, the talent of the recruits coming in on the offensive line? Well, so last year I'm, I'm proud of myself because I, I do think that I uh, was one of the bandwagon fans for Pollard and Ankrum 
playing early and having a, an impact early. Uh, so I, you know, I don't want to make sure that I'm not, you know, cast as just a downer, right. That, that I do have these moments where I see, uh, you know, this, this great potential. I, I don't see an early impact, uh, necessarily for this, this offensive line class compared to last year where, uh, where Pollard, you know, uh, and, and Ankrum, I thought were, were it would just with their length and their, uh, versatility, I thought they would be able to, to provide help. And, and thank goodness they did because without Pollard, Locking it down, not locking it down, but but hanging in there in the, against Alabama, against some of the best pass rushers. They're going high in the NFL draft. Uh, you know, we don't win that game. So those were key. And and remember that Ankrum was a really late take last year too. So this year's class, uh, I, I think that Matt Bockhorst, right, is uh, from a great program in Saint Xavier. Ohio State didn't need a guard this uh, this class. They wanted to prioritize tackles, so they overlooked him in state. I think he's uh, an underrated prospect. He's the guy that I think, if he's healthy, if his knee is is fully healed, um, I think he could uh, make a make an impact in, in the future. I, I'm not sure next year there's the potential that he could avoid a redshirt, but I you know he's got to be fully healthy. Not sure that'll happen um, in time for for fall camp. Um, the way that like John Simpson just kind of burst on the scene, not even enrolling early, and uh, and was you know amazing and and played uh, throughout the year and is looking to kind of you know uh, grab more of a role next year. So I, I think Matt is um, is a guy who's tough as nails. Uh, he will be a an interior player. And he will surprise a lot of people and make Ohio State wish that they had taken him. I, you know, I think he's got that kind of ceiling to him. Dehan Noah Dehan is is a massive uh, physical specimen at six seven, uh, and he uh, he's you know he's developmental. He you know he's playing in in New Jersey. He reclassified, and that was really good for him. But he's just pushing over those those smaller players at six foot seven. He's going to need to work on his feet and his pad level and develop and take a redshirt year and all those things. But Dehan, there was a reason that Alabama was was recruiting Dehan. He he has an enormous ceiling as well. Um, and and you know I think he probably plays at right tackle um, in the future. Uh, but if if he can get his technique down and, and get his steps down in, as a offensive lineman as a tackle. He's going to be a great great prospect down the road. And Vincent was uh, Blake Vincent was uh, he, he's he's really tall, six foot five. Yeah, he's still gaining weight. I think he's about he was about two eighty last year, two ninety maybe now. Uh, but he was injured last year, and so we don't really know what we're going to get with him. He's going to be a developmental prospect, need a redshirt year. Uh, and and you know we moved on him early. And we missed out, like I said, on Trey Smith and Andrew Thomas, uh, who are the really kind of, you know, the, 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 the high-level tackles, that instant impact guys that could come in and play right away. Um, so, you know, I think next year we definitely need to prioritize uh, offensive line, making sure that we take three, even though the, the, the numbers, there'll be a numbers crunch, at least two, hopefully three that we'll be able to take. Um, so, you know... I, it's a it's it's solid it's not spectacular offensive line class and i don't mean to offend anyone with that but that's just you know that's how i see it one thing that makes it a little bit or gives you a little bit more assurance is that a lot of times it takes what two years three years to know if you hit on an offensive line prospect in the 2000 like you said the 2016 class we already know that we hit on 
on three of the of the four guys. Still, uh, you know, losing for Morgan is a big loss, but uh, it at least gives you a little bit, a little bit of a, a cushion there. And yeah, yeah you're like, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, sorry. We actually took five guys last year. If you add Kate Stewart in too, um, so. Right. Uh, so yeah, I, I would be the first to say that offensive line is the hardest position to project. It's the hardest position for recruiting services to project. It's the hardest you know position for coaches to project. And that's why I'm always a big fan of volume and numbers along the trenches, especially at, at O line, because uh, you know it, it's really hard to to project and and to see how these guys' bodies will will respond and react to you know the additional weight and all those kind of factors that go into it. Sorry, I cut you off. No worries. They're kind of like pitchers. You can never have enough of them, like in baseball. A few, a few just won't work out. Maybe, and then others could be injuries. I'm, I'm with you on the, on the volume game. Uh, and then we'll, we'll look ahead next year. Looks, we'll talk about that in just a bit. Let's move, let's move to the defense, though. If, if any other thoughts on the offensive line? No, no, no. You know, I think uh, solid, not uh, spectacular developmental guys that we'll learn about a little bit later i think that's a good good analysis so jordan jordan williams he is our well the one that is actually a a true defensive end in this class Mm -hmm. to me he's he's also one of the maybe the most interesting player in the class because clemson the coaches thought so much of him yet uh, if you looked at the the recruiting rankings you had guys um who were also we were also in pursuit of like zach carter uh, Malik Herring uh, that we lost out on, but we were we really wanted Jordan Williams as much as we wanted uh, both of those guys that were ranked much higher. What is it about him that makes him so good? What is it about his skill set that the coaches like so much? Yeah, ooh, Zach Carter that makes me bristle because that you know there's another one that uh, everybody in the building thought we were getting anyway. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I Jordan Williams massive, right? He's he's. He fits this kind of prototypical mold that uh, Coach Hobby. We'll see if this continues with Coach Bates. I mean, he could have a different kind of philosophical approach to the defensive line. I I, I don't think so. I mean, that would be a, a pretty shocking departure. But Coach Hobby, uh, in conjunction, I guess, with Coach Brooks, um, valued length and uh, and this ability to uh, set the edge and rush the passer. Uh, and 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 just be kind of massive, right? Austin Bryant, these huge long arms. Christian Wilkins, even you know, like a large guy out on the edge. Kevin Dodd helped to fill that that mold. Even Beasley, even though he was you know smaller, he he had that wingspan, that amazing wing wingspan that served him really well. So so Clemson, I think, values in their defensive end takes Cleon Farrell, right? These big-bodied defensive ends who can be multiple, they can uh, set the edge, stop the run, but also are, are quick enough, fast enough that they can get to the the quarterback and have this kind of long arm wingspan, bat balls down, do a lot of things on the defensive defensive line. So Jordan Williams fits with that that mold. He, he's got some work to do with his technique. Um, I, I've been conflicted on Jordan Williams because there's times when I felt like, oh, he could come in and actually you know make an impact as a freshman. That he wasn't going to redshirt, and there are times when I keep, you know, second guessing myself and saying, because yeah, he had a few camp performances, and you know, I, I I don't put put that much stock on camp performances, but he did struggle in one on ones at times, so I do think that he's going to take some time to uh, to refine his pass technique, to kind of 
um, develop as a defensive end, some of the hand placement, usage of his hands and things like that, pass rush. You know, he's got some good moves. Um, but, yeah, I, I, you know, I think that uh, Jordan Williams uh, is what Clemson values as a, as a defensive end right now. And I should ask, do you, where do you see him projecting more as like a strong side, um, the Kevin Dodd role, the, the where Christian Wilkins resided last year, or more the weak side, kind of your your uh, your pass rusher, your Vic Beasley type, or or is he somewhere in between? I know I think he's going to be a, a strong side uh, defensive end, um, just just because he's a bit his frame is a bit bigger. I mean, they could they could have him try to lose some weight, I think, but. Um, I, I think they'll they'll probably stick to him on the the strong side, uh, because I think he, he's not going to be as good uh, rushing the passer as maybe uh, some of the other weak side guys or you know guys who are a little bit smaller in, in, in frame. And also, hey, you have Xavier Kelly. He's still in the mix. I, I projected him as maybe the second best player on the on the of the defensive class last year behind Dexter Lawrence. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, yeah, no, uh, so Xavier Kelly and you, you have these guys, right. Who, um, last year, I think I said that he would redshirt, right. Is that what I said last year? Try, I'm hoping that's what I said last year. Uh, the, the guys that had this amazing amount of talent, but they were redshirting just because their technique wasn't up to par. Right. And that's where Xavier Kelly, I think, I think you're absolutely right. He's going to have, uh, we need him to have a, a too deep role. We need him to make a, a splash next year. Um, and he has all of the tools and the, the, the skill set to do that for sure. Yeah, yeah. He you know played in uh, Kansas, uh, or Kansas State, the high school system. So I mean that's that's low level competition. So maybe a little bit similar to some other players. Um, Same with Simmons, right? Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. So a lot of a lot of fundamentals and technique that have to be learned, uh, but a ton of raw athletic ability, and uh, and hopefully we'll see that. You saw Cleveland Farrell. Who you know the the impact he had as a as a redshirt freshman? It would be nice to see, like I said, just for Kelly to have a, a role in the two deep this year. Um, but hey, we're gonna bring you on in like you know a few months. We're gonna talk about all the the roster <laughs> and in the two deep because um, we could go on forever. Let's yeah. let's talk about uh, I'm, I'll I'll talk about Logan Rudolph and Justin Foster kind of in the same in, in the same uh, topic. So Rudolph is. Uh, I think a high three star. He's he is he played defensive end in high school, but he he's projecting as more of a linebacker in college. Whereas Justin Foster, it played linebacker in high school, and he projects more as a more of a, maybe a weak side defensive end in college. Where where do these guys play, and and what do you see from them uh, as tweeners, I guess so to speak? Yeah, yeah, uh, hybrid players, right? Hybrid. Yes. That's what we're calling tweeners now, right? Uh, no, you know, um, we, we sold these guys on coming in and being kind of like stand up defensive ends, right? You know, you know, you notice that our weak side defensive end sometimes plays with hand in the ground. Sometimes he stands up this year. Brent Venables got even more creative with, uh, for example, when we played Syracuse, the defensive end was kind of lining up, uh, in, in kind of a zone coverage in different spots, right? Uh, all over the field. Um, so you know, I, I I don't know exactly where Brent Venables wants to go, and if if these uh, selections are indicative of the the 
the way he wants to progress as a defense in, in being more multiple and having a guy that can be more of a defensive end, but also kind of in a, in a, a linebacker mold. Um, Logan Rudolph, right? Uh, best uh, announcement video, commitment video ever. Um, he's the one that's the hardest for me to peg because when I uh, see him on tape, you know, he's got this motor, he's got this athleticism, he's relentless, he hits hard. Um, and, you know, he, he played uh, on offense as well uh, as kind of an H-back, uh, if I'm not mistaken, at Northwestern High School in South Carolina. Uh, and so, you know, he's got that 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 athleticism and ability to, to move um, pretty well. So it'll be interesting to see if he does end up at linebacker, inside linebacker, bulks up a bit. I and mean, he's going to have to make a, a transition in his body. He's going to have to gain, you know, I think kind of uh, 15, 20 pounds of muscle, particularly to his lower body. Um, and I think that uh, development will kind of um, – push him to what position he's going to ultimately end up playing. Um, so, you know, it's hard right now, I think, to speculate where exactly he ends up. But I, I do think he was brought in and recruited to be a hybrid defensive end slash uh, stand-up linebacker. And, and Justin Foster, uh, maybe Rudolph is three-star. Uh, you know, three-star. Foster is a legitimate four-star. Uh, for much of his recruitment, was a top 100 player. Mm-hmm. Uh, a tremendous talent. And by the way, both of these guys are really good guys too. High character. Justin Foster's sister went to Clemson. Uh, he really cared about academics. Really good to be calling these guys Clemson, you know, Clemson students, Clemson football players. Talk a little bit about Foster and what you see from him. From Crest High School in North Carolina, continuing our uh, connection with Crest High School. It's a you know, great high school for, for talent. Uh, Justin Foster is another one that's really hard to kind of peg down. I think he will end up being, you know, more of a, a defensive end when it's all said and done. Um, he played at Crest as a really big kind of tall, you know, his junior year, he's kind of big and tall and, and a bit lanky. And then he just really grew into his body and he grew from 6'3". He's, he's more 6'4 now. Um, and, you know, the last time I saw him, he, he looked really ripped, uh, that sounded weird, but um, he, you know, he, he looks the part of a, of a football player and a, I think of a defensive end, and I think he's going to add a little bit more weight um, and, and he's going to play with his hand in the ground more than, than anything. But, uh, but Foster slipped, I think, in the recruiting rankings just because recruiting services get re- uh, and those experts, they get really nervous when they don't have a, uh, a position for you and they're, they, they're, they worry about how you'll transition. And when that happens, they, they drop you in the rankings because you know, you're not a sure thing. And if you're a top, you know, fair enough, if you're a top 100 player, you should kind of be a sure thing, right? Uh, top 100 and it shouldn't be waffling around with where is this guy going to play when there's so many good players out there. So um, I understand it to a certain degree, but but he's definitely still, in my mind, you know, right there on the fringe of top 100, top 150 players, and his athleticism is definitely top 100. Um, so it'll be all about Clemson being able to harness that and and um, and putting him in the the best position to kind of succeed. Um, I, I, he's not Chris Register. I think that's too easy of a comparison. But um, I think that he will play kind of Chris Register's position and play it better, um, quicker. 
than uh, than Register has to this point. In, yeah, in three years, your your hybrid, your tweeners are now top 100 guys. That's that's quite an improvement. That's that demonstrates yeah. where Clemson, the Clemson brand, the Clemson programs come. Let me let's go. Let's talk about AJ Terrell. I think he's. I'm not going to say he's my favorite player because it's I, of all the the three five stars, Higgins and and Hunter Johnson. I lo- I love them all. I really like AJ Terrell. Uh, he is a five star cornerback. Maybe we'll call him a, a a defensive back out of Georgia. Does a lot of things really well, really quick. Good good size, good athleticism. Do, you you mentioned Higgins as maybe a better prospect than Sammy Watkins. Would you say that Terrell's the best defensive back prospect Clemson's had? Uh, like, I guess maybe in the in the last what ten years? Oh boy, oh that's a good. Maybe I don't know. Mac may maybe the other guy I could think of right off the right off the bat. Yeah, you know, I mean, McKenzie was like straight out of the box too. Uh, was going to be a good player, left us too soon. But of course, you know, McKenzie. Uh, had his had had different kinds of flaws, right? In terms of um, you know always following what the coaches told him to do on the field, like those kinds of things. But in in, in pure talent, uh, Mackenzie Alexander was was right up there. Um, I I think it's easy to say that that uh, AJ Terrell is uh, is the best defensive player in this class, um, and and probably the best DB. You know, yeah, sure. Let's say it in the next. And I can't think of anybody off the top of my head who I would just say that's a better defensive cornerback prospect that w- that we've had on on campus. Um, I do think that he's going to stick and play corner. Uh, I, I you know I mean he he might play safety he might play nickel just because we want to get him on the field right away but I you know ultimately I I, I think he uh, he will play corner now I'm still really high on Trayvon Mullen I was high on him uh, last year uh, after the recruiting season and in going into the season and people forget right that he actually did play over a hundred snaps uh, during the year he may not have had the impact that that. I was projecting, or I th- I thought he would have, um, but I think his talent level is there, and I'm I'm hoping I you know I think Clemson really needs Mullen to have a good year uh, next year and and to take over one of those uh, spots or at least be in the two deep at, at one of those two cornerbacks spots, but yeah I think that AJ Terrell uh, is the most likely candidate to not only not red redshirt but to be in in the two deep since. There's so much need at, at corner next year. I, you know, I do think that uh, corner and safety will be the the two positions that uh, are in the you know that that require the most attention. Um, that'll be the weakest uh, heading into the fall camp. Lee Anthony Williams, uh, another Roswell guy, the same high school as Trey Lamar, another four star, and another cornerback who is like, I guess, six feet or taller. Right? And it, it makes you wonder like if these guys can stick at cornerback, but still like, it, it, another great prospect. Uh, what do you, what do you see from him and what's his timeline in ter- uh, to make an impact? Yeah. So, the, I mean, the reason why AJ is so unique is that he can do all those things at six foot two. Right. And he has that amazing length. He has the, the hips and, and the ball skills and he's really physical um, hits like a safety, right? I mean, he's extremely physical, um, but he can do that at six foot two. Um, and so Lee Anthony Williams, I think at six foot, 
at Roswell, um, every year he keeps getting better. Um, and, and I think when he, he gets to Clemson, he's going to surprise a lot of people. He might still redshirt just because of the, the numbers, um, at the position. If AJ Baker comes back healthy, then you, you know, you got six guys right there, right? Uh, I, I think that would be the number. So you would want to register redshirt Williams. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I think he is one of the, um, underrated prospects just because, um, he, he, he has this ability, I think, to continually challenge himself and, and, and I've seen him get better and I, you know, I can't necessarily describe that as a talent. Right. Um, but I, I, I have every like faith that he will be able to improve when he gets to Clemson acclimate to the college level. Um, just because I've, I've seen that progress in, in, in high school with him at, at Roswell. And if there was ever an like all in Clemson guy, uh, you know, he's not as kind of loud as other recruits, but Lee Anthony Williams, uh, committed early, always add on his orange shoes, his orange shop, uh, orange socks, everything orange. And, uh, and you know, he, he was all in, uh, and in Roswell, Georgia, you know, deep in Georgia, that's not always the easiest thing to do. And so uh, I think he deserves a ton of credit. Uh, that's a great program there at Roswell. He had great coaching. He played in a bunch of big games. Um, you know, I can go through all the things. I think he has, you know, some things to, to clean up still with his technique and flexibility. He's got pretty good hips um, and he's got pretty good length. And so he's 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 really good at a lot of things. Um, maybe not, you know, hitting kind of this elite level and elite speed or elite quickness. Um, but I, I, I think he's a worker. I think he's going to continue to get better. And he's a solid, solid addition um, to this class. And, you know, have we had a, a time when we had two really good cornerbacks I'm uh, in the past 10 years? I, you know, I'm not sure about that either. I, yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, if you looked at our, our team this year, you wouldn't call the secondary a weak link by any, by any stretch. But in terms of talent, it didn't really – it wasn't in line with some other positions. And they made the most – guys like Brian Carr made the most of what they had, and, and Edmonds made the most of what they had. But it wasn't like – Jalen Ramsey and uh, some other guys. So I think like this infusion of talent, it's really gonna, it's really going to be big. Maybe not this coming year, but uh, you you combine all these guys like Trayvon Mullen, uh, AJ Terrell, and and now Lee Anthony Williams. In about two or three years, it's gonna it's gonna be a really really good secondary. Yeah, I mean, and and this is where it's like, if we had Xavier McKinney, then this would be the most amazing you know DB class. You know, singing its praises. Um, to me, I'm, I, you know, I'm, there's still this like, what if, uh, because X didn't join up and went to Alabama, but you know, that's okay. It's all right. I'm, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm still waiting to see. I'm still curious. You mentioned Ter- Terrell playing at cornerback. I'm, I, I have, uh, I don't know. I wonder if they don't play him at safety or give him a shot at safety just for early playing time. If, in, in, you know, in the case that like Denzel Johnson doesn't live up to expectations or something like that. It, it'll be fascinating to see, um, especially with Ryan Carter, because he's actually a better safety, I think. And I think the coaching staff thinks at, uh, uh, than at corner. He, he's a really good safety. And this is me saying this, right, who's always like uh, – has never really been a high Ryan Carter. You know, I mean, I, I, I respect him and I love what he's been able to do. But, you know, coming out, I was not one that was like – 
yay, Ryan Carter, right? Um, he's he's defied expectation at every step. Uh, and he's actually a really, I think, a good safety just because he's solid in everything that he does and he's really tough and he comes up and he hits and he covers a lot of ground because he's got good speed. Um, and, you know, and, and he doesn't have to have that grade of technique, even though this past year we saw an enormous, I think, um, uh, pro progression in uh, his ability to uh, man that boundary spot. Can he go to uh, or man the field spot? Sorry, uh, but can he go to, to boundary and hold up? You know, as that key man-to-man um, -man on an island player. So you know, that's the most important thing I think next year that Brent Venables has to find is the guy who allows him to be so versatile uh, with his with his schemes. Um, if you have a cornerback who you can leave on an Island, like we did with tank, you know, he can run the, the more complex defensive schemes, like, uh, the cover he, he ran, uh, I was reading about this. He ran a bit of uh, cover seven, which is where the, the, uh, the one cornerback lines up on an Island with the main wide receiver. And then everybody else is playing three on two, right. Or uh, two on one, excuse me, uh, where they're passing off the, the, the wide receiver. And so to, to, to do something that, that complex, right. To, to run a defense like Nick Saban, um, runs it. I mean, that's one of the things that Alabama runs is this kind of cover seven coverage. Uh, you have to have that guy who can lock down that Island. So, you know, maybe it's, uh, Wallace, right. Kevon Wallace, who, who is able to make the transition and stick at corner rather than jumping around and, and being the nickel. But um, that'll be, I think, one of the main storylines. And now I've gotten into storylines rather than sticking <laughs> 2017 class. Sorry. And, and we don't want to forget about Mark Fields. Now that we're, you know, we're talking about every guy, you know, <laughs> Mark Fields is super talented and I hope, heck, he could become that lockdown guy. But hey, hey, let's, maybe we're, we're, uh, we're digressing a little bit. Right. Balen right. Spector, he's the last guy. Am I, I, don't even, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right. Sorry, STS Bunch, who's so critical of, of names. Um, Balen Spector, he, he looked like a, you know, kind of a legacy commit there for a second. But I think you, you mentioned that you like him. You like his upside at the Sam linebacker position. I'm as surprised as you, right? Uh, this is the kind of recruit who I'm, I'm, I'm normally pegged as hating, right? No, this guy is Mr. Calhoun, right? He uh, uh, did everything for that team. Played quarterback, uh, a running quarterback, so he's very athletic. Um, and from his junior to his senior year, he got bigger, he got stronger. Um, he has an incredible shuttle time, right? That the the shuttle where you run back and forth there. Um, he was like four point two six verified. Uh, at, I think that was an opening number that that I saw. Um, that's a great shuttle number, and and that shows up on film where he, you know he short space quickness. Um, and so we missed out on Drew Singleton to Michigan. Um, we had a lead for him early on, and then that just kind of dissipated as Michigan sunk their teeth in there uh, to Paramus, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. I don't even know. New Jersey. Uh, and, and so there is a need in this class for a, a Sam linebacker. Um, and I think D Dorian O'Daniel this year showed us just how important that position that nickel Sam hybrid position is to, uh, to the defense being able to stop the run, but also cover the pass. And, uh, and so, you know, uh, I, I think there's a chance here that we could have gotten the guy that's, you know, pretty underrated. Uh, I, you know, I hate to use hidden gem, right. But uh, I think he could, uh, after redshirt year, after some time, 
fill that role. Uh, and, and he feels like a Brett Venables kind of recruit kind of linebacker. Uh, we haven't even talked, you know, about, uh, linebackers yet, but you know, Skowski, right. Uh, these kind of Brent Venables sees them. He works them out. He, he feels like something's there. You have to trust Brent Venables in these situations. This year, I'm going to trust him on this on this guy, Mr. Calhoun, uh, and uh, and I, you know, I I normally would say this was a waste of a you know a, a pick. I'm not going to say that here. I think this guy's got a future as a as a quality Sam linebacker. And there's a there's another quality linebacker named Jake Venables in the 2018 class. Uh, no relation, but very good linebacker. <laughs> uh, there was a, he Venables, Brent Venables also evaluated him, like what he yeah. saw. Um, yeah. No, but coming full circle, that's that's all the players in 2017's class. That's all of them, really. We're done already. We're done, but at least we're like right at an hour, and we have to look at least give like a, a sneak peek to 2018 because there's a lot of ground groundwork being laid already. There's a 55 million dollar facility that's been built, and and a slide. So I. I don't know. There was a junior day last week. I don't know if you give us your thoughts and you can go wherever you want. Just kind of pick and choose what prospects you like, um, things that maybe the next guy you see committing, whatever you want to talk about in the class of 2018, because I think that's where we're really going to reap the rewards of being a national champion. Absolutely. So, I mean, quickly with this facility, right? Um, Normally we I mean, I don't want to say that Clemson gets things wrong, right? It just sounds so pessimistic. But, like, we don't normally get things so right. Like, this this facility is, you know, the best. I, it's not a, an overstatement to say that it's right up there with the best in the country, right? And I think that Oregon's facility is amazing. I mean, I you know, I've never been to Oregon's facility. I've seen the pictures of it. But it just feels so, like... I don't know, like elitist and like, I'm not, you know, I, I would love to be in there and like look around, but I wouldn't actually like want to be there, like be there. Um, Dabo Sweeney land. I want to like live there. Like I want to move in and, uh, and take a nap there. I mean, that's on my bucket list now. Like for real is taking a nap in the nap room. Um, and you know, who wouldn't want to be in this facility? I think, the graphics are amazing. I can already see other schools are starting to copy the the, the quality of the the graphic design. Uh, you know, just those placements on the walls. I think everybody's gonna copy the Paw Journey because it helps articulate this overall brand message that Clemson has established about family. So it's not just you know, uh, Clemson used to battle about oh yeah, we're really about family. And that seemed to be working. And so Auburn adopted it. Ole Miss adopted it. Everybody tried to be all about family. Well, those schools don't necessarily say that anymore because uh, they can't compare to Clemson setting up the paw journey and showing how they're going to take your recruit and turning him into a man and get him a job and do all these wonderful things and his character and personality. And we're bringing in all these people and we're not kicking people out and all that culture stuff. The facility exemplifies like it articulates that message that brand identity so well and so it's 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 this whole marketing um branding uh mixture with college football recruiting that i don't i don't think we've ever seen articulated through a facility in the the way that 
that this one has just, you know, and it's, it's inviting, uh, uh, feel, it doesn't feel like, uh, you know, it feels like you can go and sit down and feel comfortable. Uh, it doesn't feel like it's showing off, even though it's got these, you know, all these wonderful bells and whistles and things. It's got this great patio where you can sit out and grill and all these things. All right. So, um, this class, this 2018 class, I, I will be, uh, disappointed if it's not the best class in Clemson history. Like, I, I think it has that potential to be, um, that level of, uh, of, of good. Um, you know, you start with the number one player in the country in, in Trevor Lawrence, and there is no question that he is number one overall. I don't care what any recruiting service tries to pull. He will be number one when all is said and done. And he will be, I, you know, I think he will be a number one, uh, draft pick. I think he's going to be a Heisman winner. Um, I, you know, I, I, his ceiling is right there. Like that is what he should be based on what he, how he has performed, um, to this level. No, 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 uh, you know, no expectations there, right? No, no heavy burden. Um, and then, you know, I, we really need to bring in some, uh, some good defensive linemen because we didn't take a defensive tackle in this class. Uh, we're going to need to bring in some, some really good D linemen. Um, and so we've got Josh Belk, right? He, he committed. And I think he's a great kind of South Carolina type of player, developmental prospect. We've got Xavier Thomas. <clears throat> who I think we have the lead for now. Um, it was big for South Carolina that they kept some of those pieces uh, with that last class with Jamias Williams. Um, even though I, you know, I don't think he was going to Georgia. I don't think Georgia had room for him, but you know, that, I don't really care to debate that with people, but um, Jamias Williams being at South Carolina gives them a, a chip. Uh, Kinlaw too. Um, There's a connection there with, with Thomas. What South Carolina has to continually sell Xavier Thomas on is this idea that he will be the missing piece that will help put them over the edge. So next year's season is going to be really big in terms of perception. Um, Does Clemson still have a 10 win playoff contending season or do they slide down a little bit and have a, you know, a nine, 10 win season, right? And don't contend for the playoff. Does South Carolina have an eight win season, a nine win season? If they're able to do that, they're positioned well to, to land Xavier Thomas because he's still got these, these um, in town, in home connections um, and, and family connections to, to Columbia and things. Uh, but I think his move to IM, uh, IMG is big for Clemson. He, he will be surrounded by Clemson voices. Um, Mike Jones Jr. is a great recruiter already, and he will be a great voice. Um, <clears throat> we, we need a lockdown win. I think we lead for him. I think he will be a great uh, – he's an underrated prospect right now. Uh, I think he will be a great three-tech, and, and he might even stay as like a b- big uh, defensive end. If, it depends on how he grows. And, and how he wants to, uh, you know, kind of sculpt his body and things like that. But I think he, w- he will be a great three-tech. Um, and then, you know, we're in it for uh, all these kind of five-star players who are now knocking on our door wanting to come. Uh, Vincent is one who's an oversign, right, uh, from, from IMG as well there. So, you know, we could have this, this group of IMG players who form this nucleus that, uh, would just be unprecedented, I think. I mean, it would be Alabama level uh, recruiting at at Clemson. Um, so, so yeah, I think the defensive uh, line will be really important next year. Um, I think we got a good start on some really good offensive linemen. 
but there will be battles uh, with with uh, with Georgia in particular for for Hill and for uh, Salyer, and uh, th- those are re- two really good guards that I think are oversigned prospects as well. Um, and, but you know the problem is if we got all these oversigned guys, do we have room for them in a you know a twelve person class? Because we you know we've already we're at what number four already. Um, so you know. Uh, uh, do you have any questions for me? I'm I'm rambling here, so yeah, yeah. Um, so for our listeners that don't know it, and, and most might, but IMG is a powerhouse in Florida. Uh, two South Carolina prospects, including Xavier Thomas out of Florence, I believe, and maybe the best prospect since Clowney is now at IMG, along with current commit Mike Jones Jr. Yeah, and right. then Stefan Wynn, who is from T.L. Hannis. So uh, just the, the makings of something really special. Um, let me ask you about uh, Zamir White. We need we, Ooh, yeah. we need a, we need a running back, but we would like to have a great running back, and he is he is great. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, we have been in the thick of it with White for months now, right? For six months now, we've been in the thick of it. In terms of that league group, uh, I, you know, I think UNC was there. South Carolina was not there. Uh, just to be clear about that, Georgia's in there. I, uh, Ohio State is definitely in there as well. Uh, I, I still believe, I, you know, I don't know after his visit to Georgia. I still believe that that we we are um, that we currently have the lead for him. Uh, he's he's a very good running back prospect. I think there's a there's a, a a handful of, of really good running back prospects that we could potentially be in play for here. But we, we will definitely focus on white and make white tell us no before we move on to anybody else. The guy who I am uh, borderline man crush level on is, is uh, KJ Henry in terms of defensive ends. I, I'm sorry. I'm, I glossed over him. He, he to me is, I, you know, Xavier Thomas is amazing. Um, he, he's a, a, a little bit of a different build though, more of a strong side, I think. I mean, he could play weak side too though, but KJ Henry is, is to me kind of what Clemson needs, a, a, a pass rusher with this kind of obscene length, um, filling out his frame, highest athleticism, five-star player. Uh, I, you know, I think he, he'll be a top 10 recruit when it's all said and done. He's definitely top 15 in my book, five-star guy. He's the guy I think um, that Clemson really needs for the class. And I think he'll, well, I mean, I, I think Clemson leads for him as well right now. Ohio state is again, the, the guy to beat there. So, if, so you would say uh, Henry um, and white are, well, Henry's a Clemson lean. Are you saying say- white, white's more, Zamir white's more up in the air? Um, well, I, I, I would just say that, Zamir White has been a Clemson lean during these past six months. Um, at, you know, at, at some point, I think the coaching staff felt like he was a Clemson lean. So, how that progresses from here on, I, I'm not. I'm not sure. He wants to make a commit in the uh, a commitment in the the, the spring. So, you know, uh, this won't carry on until signing day the way it will probably for Xavier Thomas. Um, uh, just because, 
I, I think he he will continue to want to be recruited and 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 enjoy the the recruiting process as potentially you know the number one overall. And people shouldn't be upset about that. Like he he's that level and caliber prospect that I think he can he should be allowed to do that. Backup options for for running back. What are, are there who, anyone else you like in the class after Zamir White? Um, you know, I like there's there isn't anyone right now that that Clemson is like all in kind of recruiting. Um we I did like uh the the kid who went to NC State, uh Ricky Person and uh he didn't have a good year last year, though, and but I, I still think there's a lot of potential there. I, I'm I'm you know kind of wait and see mode on him his senior year, and then there's some other guys kind of scattered around. But I don't think we will not take more than one running back. So, I, right now we're on the Zamir White like train or bust um, up until the spring, and then you know plenty of time to to look elsewhere or to scout elsewhere. But yeah, we're just gonna. Uh, look for one running back. I don't think we, we go on two. Well, I guess Eddie and uh, the commit from this year proves that you don't have to necessarily, you don't have to go all in with one guy at this point. Uh, the Clemson, <laughs> the, Clemson uh, the Clemson brand carries a lot of weight, so you, you can, you can make, make up some ground if you have to. Yeah. Um, and I mean, doing yeah. that with, with the corner as well. Right. I mean, we may, <laughs> we may only have room for one, db in this class like wouldn't that be crazy if we only took one db in this class and in this past uh thursday we had alan who's a five star who's uh you know he's he maybe he's a corner he's probably a safety probably a uh safety nickel ish uh maybe a corner uh, when it's all said and done but we we had him as a five star we had certain right who's just amazing uh player uh, we, we had his teammate who's a top 100 guy. Um, and, and we may only take one. So we're, so once again, we're not going to push for an early commit from anyone because we just don't have room for it. And we want to see how the numbers, uh, shake out. So, um, so that's where we are with, with DBs, but we, we definitely have a lot of talent that's already been on, on campus. So if you're still listening, you probably, you probably care a whole lot about recruiting and, and good, good on you good on you if you do uh maybe because we're already an, already at an hour and 15 uh let's maybe i can we can leave with this uh, the rival schools south carolina and fsu uh, fsu had a, a really good uh, close to the i guess the signing period they or they did a good they they landed a few really good prospects how do you see them uh, in terms of talent you met, you kind of alluded to it earlier with with cam mm-hmm. Akers, but uh are are they still going to be right there in the top five? Are we still going to have that juggernaut on our schedule every year in South Carolina? Is is what uh, Muschamp's preaching to the recruits? Is he following through? Is is it going to be? Are they going to have the kind of talent to be to fill the top twenty five team? Yeah, Florida State is. Uh, I mean, that was a scary good class, in in my opinion, um, with them closing with Acres and uh, Marvin Wilson, who you know, I don't I don't think that he's I, I think he was a bit overrated throughout the process, just just in in uh, with respect to you know being number three overall. I don't know where where he ended up on the composite, but you know some had him number one throughout the process. Um, I don't think he's like the level of like Dexter Lawrence, where he's going to make that large of an immediate impact. But he is a good player and such a great get for Florida State. 
pulling him away from LSU. I mean, I, everybody thought he was going to LSU ultimately. So, you know, Florida state and Florida state, uh, folks, uh, were doing some work, uh, this year and, um, they, you know, that they filled in some, some holes with this class, uh, on their roster and they, they improved. Um, you know, I, we thought, oh, you know, they, they lost uh, Rudolph, they lost cook, they lost some really good players. They, they had some problems in the secondary last year. Well, they're going to get guys healthy. They're going to be back. Um, and that defense, I think with, with a stout interior is going to be difficult to handle, um, moving forward. So when we, when we think about two small classes, I, you know, I think we have to think about Florida state, right. And their ability to bring in. 20 really good players. I, you know, uh, I think we beat them this year with better coaching on the defensive side of the ball, to be quite frank. I, you know, I think, um, I, I think Florida state, uh, defensive coaching was a little bit mixed up in, in how they presented their players or how they, they ran their schemes. Uh, and especially in the secondary when they got, they had those injuries, but, um, ultimately Florida state's going to be right there. So can we afford to, to have two small classes and still maintain, our talent edge coaching edge over Florida state. Cause I mean, we were losing in the fourth quarter with Deshaun Watson, right? I mean, we can't forget that anyway. Um, it'll be a great game, uh, this year, South Carolina, I think closed well. Um, but th their class doesn't meet their needs. Uh, they, they brought in a bunch of wide receivers. They brought in a bunch of skill guys, a, a tight end. I, I don't, that are good players, but I don't think, uh, they really, um, filled the holes that they needed to fill. Landing Jamias Williams in the end is big because their secondary it was just horrible last year. Getting back Sky Moore is big for them. That's kind of like their star recruit that they got this year. They will be better at linebacker, and with that, they'll just be better on on defense. But I don't think that they brought in anybody that is a difference maker on the defensive line or on the offensive line, and that's where they really needed uh, the most help. You heard it here, and it's not Jamius Williams, but I think we should call him Jamius Williams because it, it sounds better. It's fun to say. <laughs> uh, apologies to everybody's name who I butchered uh, during this uh, entire interview. Yeah. All good. All good. We'll, the, we'll learn their names once uh, Kirk Herbstreit says them. So. <laughs> well, Quacking Tiger, it, it's great having you on, as always. I uh, hope. I hope we can do this for you know, years to come, and I hope things keep trending the way they are, and we can talk about five-star recruits and blue-chip recruits because it's a lot, it makes it a lot more fun. Uh, the spring game, the upcoming spring game, I think maybe after that, it'd be great to have you back on and talk about you know kind of too deep uh, roster, kind of the way things are shaking out at that point. Because hey, the, a lot of new a lot of new guys coming in. I think that's like it's it's both scary but it's also uh, exciting absolutely thanks for having me all right we'll talk to you soon thank you bye